All right, open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, one of the most unusual passages in the Bible today. And um, I, I was telling Laura that it's funny how it works, dealing with two of the most difficult things today in our adult class, dealing with the, the concept of tongues and all that's going on with tongue speakers around the world. And then today, we're looking at the Bible's only allegory. And uh, this, this passage, as we read it, I think that it, it may seem confusing as you just read through it in a quick way, but by the time we're done today, you'll understand how clear it is and what a blessing it is. And so my, my title today would be uh, the Scripture's single allegory or fathers in the flesh or in the spirit. Fathers in the flesh or in the spirit. And what, one of the things that I love about the Word of God, we don't have to go to a different text. We don't have to do something different to apply to a special day. Because what is more important than a father walking in the Spirit? Amen? Amen. What's more important than that? And what's interesting is in our text today, we have a father who decided to make a fleshly decision rather than waiting on God and believing Him. So you dads, I'm so glad you're here today. Uh, moms get a lot of attention in our culture, don't they? And we love our moms. We want to protect them. But there's no more important person in the world than a father. There's no more. We need godly men leading our homes. We need godly men in leadership at Grace Baptist Church. And so I'm so thankful for you men that are here today. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, please help us as we study your word this morning. Lord, it's such a wonderful, powerful, supernatural book. So, Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, remember what the book of Galatians is about. It begins talking about salvation is by grace, not of works. Isn't that right? That's it. You can't work your way into heaven. You just cannot do it. Grace plus anything is hell. That's it. You're going to go to hell unless you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. That's the, that's the message of Galatians. Don't mix it. Don't water it down. The Bible says, if any man brings another gospel, let him be accursed. There's not more than one option. There's only one gospel. And it's the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So after he gets that out of the way, he tells us not only are we saved by faith, not the flesh, but we live by faith, not by the flesh. Uh, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? They were bewitched into thinking that having begun in the Spirit, they would be made perfect by the flesh. It's so weak. It's bewitching. It's not of God. It's of Satan. And that's all through our churches, isn't it? And so today, the apostle, he has gone through so many different explanations of it. Now he tells them a story. How many of you would rather hear a story than verse by verse? Many people. That's the way that people are put together. And that's why the Bible gives us all different kinds of truths. So let's start reading in verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? He's, he's incredulous. You, and what had happened was some people had come, Jews had come to Galatia. The Galatians were Gentiles. Some Jews had come from Jerusalem and had told them that in order to be a Christian, you've got to be under the Jewish law also. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to eat certain kinds of food. You've got to be separate from Gentiles. All of those things, and none of them were true. And so the apostle clears that up. But yet there, he knew that there were still some people who had been persuaded. They'd been convinced by these people that they needed to be under 
the law. It's, it's, he said, have you never read it? Have you never heard what the law says? There's no way that you can keep it. You can't do it. It's bondage. And so I want you to mark a couple of words. I want you to notice bondwoman and bondage and all that through this text. Let's look at it. Start reading in verse 21 again. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid. Do you see that? The other by a what? Free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then he that... But as then... He that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Would you mark that? Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? That ought to be our answer to everything. Man, everybody will say, you'll hear all kinds of things. And somebody will tell you, don't do this, don't do that. Do this, do that. Here's our answer. What does the Bible say? What, what, what verse do you use for that? Man, I make preachers mad all the time with that. Really? Where's that found in the Bible? They'll give you some slogan. Really? Man, that's great. I've heard that before. Where is that in the Bible? Amen? What saith the Scripture? This ought to be the, one of the key verses in your life. What saith the Scripture? And here's the answer. Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Boy, that's just not very nice. That's not fair. That's discrimination. Look at what it says. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, as we just read through that quickly, how many of you would say... I don't know if I really get that. Would that just, in a quick reading, isn't that the way that you would see it? Well, we have to understand what was going on. But before we get there, let's deal with this concept of allegory. Look at verse 24. Which things are an allegory? So he's describing something. He's describing two sons, two wives, two different circumstances. And he says these things are an allegory. Now... The first thing that I want you to get today, don't miss this. We're to take the Bible literally. Is that right? We take it literally unless the Bible tells us it's not being literal. Jesus Christ would speak parables. And we know that he was speaking parables because it says, and he spake a parable. Have you ever had somebody tell you the Bible's hard to understand? It's really not if you read the words. 
It's really not. Uh, how many of you have ever heard about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? It's not a parable. Someone that calls it a parable is someone who does not want to believe that hell has fire. He says, there was a man. And so if Jesus Christ says, there was a man, then what was there? A man. There was a rich man and there was a, a beggar named Lazarus. And the rich man fared sumptuously and the beggar tried to get crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. And they both died. And Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man woke up in hell being in torment. That's not, a, that's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. It's not a simile. It's a factual occurrence that happened. And that man is still in hell today. And, Abraham is, and, and, and Lazarus is with Jesus Christ. Amen? Those are real things. We must take the Bible literally... Unless there's figurative language. When Jesus Christ says, I am the door. What is he saying? You can't go to heaven except through him. There's only one way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If I want to walk out of this room, there's not a door there. Amen? Where's the door? It's back there. Here we have three. There's only one way to get to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ, the door. But does he have a knob? Hinges? No. What is that? That's figurative language. Is that right? And really, honestly, you've got to take your brain out and play with it not to be able to get that. Is that right? You gotta, we must understand when you read the Bible, it is very simple if you look at the words. So we take it literally. Now, this is where this becomes so important. Here it says that this is an allegory. Abraham, Isaac, Sarah, Hagar, Ishmael, Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. Those are all real things. So how can it be real and an allegory? Because God said it is. Isn't that simple? Let me read to you what an allegory is. This is Webster's 1828 Dictionary. It is a figurative sentence or discourse in which the principal subject is described by another subject resembling it in its properties and circumstances. Isn't that helpful? The principal subject is thus kept out of view, and we are left to collect the intentions of the writer or speaker by the resemblance of the secondary to the primary subject. Allegory is in words what hieroglyphics are in painting. We have a fine example of an allegory in the 18th Psalm in which God's chosen people are represented by a vineyard. The distinction in Scripture between a parable and an allegory is said to be that a parable is, supposed, is a supposed history and an allegory a figurative description of real facts. What in the world? What is an allegory? An allegory would be like John Bunyan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And he tells the story about Christian. And how Christian is going to go to the holy city. And all that he goes through the slew of despair or despond. and All of these things. He tells a story and the physical things that he describes in the story are not real. It's a description of the Christian's walk after he gets saved until he gets to heaven. That's an allegory. That's what it is. The Bible is not an allegory. It's not an allegory. 
But what God is saying in this text is that the Holy Spirit wants us to draw some spiritual lessons from an actual history. All right? And that's what we're going to do. Uh, what, what allegorization has come to mean, or this allegorization of Scripture, it's come to mean that the words do not mean what they say, that there's a deeper meaning. Now, if you remember when we did History That Matters, that the father of the allegorical method of Bible interpretation is a man named Origen, Adamantius Origen. He had a school in Caesarea that he moved to Alexandria, Egypt. He lived in the 200s, and he didn't like what the Bible said. He had brought in a, a teaching called Gnosticism. Uh, that, that's the idea that there's a higher knowledge that can be attained and that there are a select few who really understand the Bible because the Bible doesn't really... All that stuff in the Old Testament, it's not real. There's a deeper spiritual meaning that you need to look for. Okay? How many of you know someone who is a Calvinist? Would you raise your hand? Do you know somebody who's a Calvinist? Calvinists have to allegorize the Old Testament. It's called covenant theology. What they would do is they believe that, that since Israel rejected God, that God hates Israel now. He's broken His covenant with them. And so all of those promises for Israel in the Old Testament now apply to the church. The only problem is when you look at those things, the Bible talks about Jesus Christ physically setting foot on the earth and establishing His kingdom with Israel. Right? So what you have to do is you have to say, well, that's not really what that means. There's a deeper spiritual meaning that means the church. No, that's not what it says. Do you know, you ready for this? Did you know that God knows what the word church means? And he, he can use it. It's in his vocabulary. And he also understands what the word Israel means. God's not confused on this. Neither should we be. So what happened was people began allegorizing the Old Testament. And so what happened was when the Pharisees did it, they missed Jesus. Right? And when people in the church, when people today do that, then they cannot understand their Bible. They can't understand it. So, here's the thing. As I was reading some commentaries, and, you know, we use that word sometimes. A commentary is where a man writes a book about a book of the Bible. So, I read commentaries on the book of Galatians that will help me understand what other godly men have seen in the Bible. All right? They help me to understand it. But that's not the Bible. Commentaries are not the Bible. Let God be true and every man. So if somebody disagrees with the Bible, they're just wrong. And some good men that I like to read after, they struggle with this passage because of the struggle that we have today with people making the Bible an allegory. And so what we teach, so if let's say that, uh, here Luke, come on up here for a minute. Help me out. I love sixth graders that are taller than me. Come here. Sixth grade now or seventh that you're going into? Going into seventh. Going into seventh. I feel better. Um, okay. So let's say that Luke is going to be a preacher. And I pray that for that for you. That'd be cool. So let's say that Luke becomes a preacher. Well, we would train him. And the way that we would train him to study the Bible and to interpret the Bible, we call it the literal, historical, grammatical method of interpretation. So here's what it means. That unless it uses figurative language, which would be like or as, all right, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who went into a far country. That's, that's, that's something that, that's a story. So unless it says something like that, we just take it literally. Amen? If the Bible says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then here's what we believe. The Lord himself 
will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. See, we believe that's going to happen because Jesus Christ said that's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say this is what's going to happen. So that's literal. All right? And then historical. We, we take it literally and then historically. When God said something to Israel, what was going on in that period of history that caused him to say that? And then we take the Bible as literal history. I heard Bill O'Reilly a while back say, well, the Bible's not history. Au contraire. He's just wrong. He's just wrong. The Bible is 100% accurate history. So we accept it literally and historically. What the Bible says about science is true. What the Bible says about history is true. What the Bible says about geography is true. Amen? What the Bible says about the human body is true. George Washington died because people didn't believe the Bible. The Bible says the life is in the blood. They bled him. They thought he was sick, so they were going to take the bad blood out, and they didn't replace it. What happened? He did. And the Bible said it 2,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago, the life of the man is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. What the Bible says is true. We take it literally, historically, and then we interpret it grammatically. Do you know what that means? you know what grammatically means? Yeah. See? Grammar. The words. Words mean things. Is that right? Do you know what they mean? What they say. Right? And so if we're going to interpret something, then we look at who is being spoken to. If it's a pronoun, what's the antecedent to the pronoun? You've got to understand that stuff to interpret the Bible. Is that right? That's what we would teach. So here's the problem that preachers have with the way that the Apostle Paul handles this text. Nowhere in the Bible does it give us permission to call something an allegory. And then when it says that Agar, that would be a Greek pronunciation of Hagar. When it says that Hagar is Mount Sinai, what in the world does Hagar have to do with Mount Sinai? Hagar's the mother of the Arab race. What does the Arab race have to do with Mount Sinai? The law came at Mount Sinai. The law is Jewish. What do those two things have to do with each other? And so I, I listened to one man who said that, that Paul misapplied and another guy that said, I don't know what Paul was thinking. Right? Here's their mistake. Luke, here's their mistake. Paul didn't write it. The Holy Spirit write it. It really doesn't matter what Paul was thinking. It doesn't matter what Paul was doing. Paul wrote what the Holy Spirit said. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Every word of God is true, and I hate every false way. Amen? Amen. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have all of those words. Until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall pass away. Amen. We have every word of God. They are not the words of men. They are indeed the words of God. The Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he said that when we came to you, you received the word from us. As it is in truth, not the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you that believe. All right? So here's the problem. 
Here's the problem that preachers have with this text. We don't interpret the text allegorically. We take it literally, historically, grammatically, and we understand it spiritually as the Holy Spirit speaks to us. We're comparing things spiritual with spiritual by comparing the words of Scripture. And so Paul wasn't supposed to do what he did as a man. He didn't. God did it. Amen? Amen? Thanks, Luke. It's very important that we understand this. What Paul is doing here does not give us the right to allegorize Scripture. Do you all understand that? But the Holy Spirit of God can do whatever He wants. Which is the greatest commandment? Well, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, mind, and strength. But I say, but I say, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The law says thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say, if a man looks on a woman to lust after her, he's committed adultery already in her heart, in, in his heart. But, well, wait a minute. So can I look at the law and say the law says this? But I say, no, I'm not God. Is that right? I, I challenged a preacher one time when I was in Bible college. And I didn't... I'm much more temperate in my speech now than I was when I was young. And I said to this... Which is scary, right? So I said to this teacher who was teaching us how to preach, I said, I said to him, why don't you preach the Bible? That's not a good thing to ask a preacher, is it? He got mad. What do you mean? So said, well, you just tell stories. And he said, Jesus told stories, just like that. And I said, well, then why don't you preach Jesus' stories? The stories that Jesus told. And he just looked at me and walked away. He couldn't answer it. And that's what preaching has become in many cases. Let me just tell you a bunch of stories that I think will help you. When the Bible tells us exactly how we are to communicate it and what we are to communicate. Look with me at keep Galatians. Look with me at 2 Timothy. I know it sounds like I'm preaching to preachers, but somebody's going to listen to this on the Internet. <laughs> Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee, we're in verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. I charge thee, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to his son in the faith, the young preacher Timothy. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. You remember who the quick and the dead are? People crossing the street in Chicago, right? All right. No, God's going to judge those who are dead and those who are still living when he returns. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. What are they to preach? Preach the stories about you growing up on the farm. Or what? Preach the Word. Preach the Word. In discipleship, as you're discipling someone, what are you to teach them? The Word. The Word. Now, our life experiences can be helpful because that's our testimony about how God has worked in our lives. Would you all agree with that? It helps me to hear what other believers are going through. That's helpful. I'm not alone in this world. Amen? But the, 
But the primary emphasis of our teaching should not be our experience. It ought to be the word of God. So when we let's go back to Galatians. So when the Apostle Paul identifies this text as an allegory, that is the Holy Spirit giving us a spiritual lesson from a historical event. Is that right? A spiritual lesson from a factual event. Here's something that will really surprise a lot of Bible scholars. God can walk and chew gum at the same time. God is capable of giving us history in a specific order of something that happened and put it in that order to give us a spiritual lesson. That's the supernatural nature of your Bible. All right, so that was number one. What is an allegory? Number two... This is really important. This is a significant occurrence in your Bible. This is the only time it happens. The only time it happens that ought to draw our attention to this. How many of you believe that God knows what's going to happen before it happens? You believe that? Go to Isaiah chapter 46. Look at verse 9. This is our command to study history. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So here's what God does. God says, Study what has happened in the past. Because you'll find me there. Amen? Patrick loves that. He's our historian here. We study the things from the past to understand what God has done and how people have accepted or rejected God. That's the significance of history. You know, I think of, I've had these conversations with Wade and with Brent. They both teach history. And they see what's happening in the world right now. They watch the news and they say, this has happened before. We've seen this happen before. How can we do this again? Uh, Lydia, was. we were watching the news about what's going on in Europe with the printing more money and flooding the European economy with money. And Lydia said, isn't that how the Depression happened? Yeah. Why are they doing it again? Can I ask you a question? Do you think they're dumb? No. Know exactly what they're doing. They want to bring us a one-world currency. They can't do that unless this economic system collapses. Amen? And I know there might be somebody here saying, Cuckoo! I knew this place was weird. Well, we are. But God promised us there'd be a one-world currency, didn't He? We're starting to see it come to fruition. How do we understand it? Because God told us, and if we study history, we see what's happening again. But that's not the only thing that God tells us to do. He doesn't tell us only to study what has happened. He says, I will tell you what's going to happen in the future. So here's the thing. God knew, go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, let's start reading in verse 14.
And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, this wasn't Christ's church, this is the people's church. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So Jesus Christ, to each of these churches, he identifies himself by different names. The names that he gives himself, or the titles, the descriptors that he gives for himself, will describe the problem that is in that church and the problem that will be in that period of church history. He describes it. And Jesus Christ is the answer to all our problems. Amen? He gives us the answer. So when he describes himself as the amen, he is telling us amen means it is true. So when I'm preaching and you say amen, you're saying that's true, preacher. And the whole church, if there are guests here, they know this church agrees with what the pastor is saying about the word of God. That's the purpose of the amen. 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 It is true. So what Jesus Christ is saying in this period, the period that we live, started about 1881, it'll go until the return of Jesus Christ. The period of time in which we live, the standard operating procedure will be, eh, what is truth? How do you know that's true? How do you believe that? Well, we have the truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. Amen? So he's the amen. That means that in this period of church history, truth will be attacked. And of course, we understand that's the case. And then, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. Who's the beginning of the creation of God? Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who began the creation? Jesus Christ. The beginning of the creation of God. What will this time period say? God didn't create the world. It just happened. Evolution. God told us 2,000 years ago this was going to happen. He said it. And this is the case in churches. I told you Eric Metaxas, the guy that took Chuck Colson's place on Breakpoint. He does not believe in creation. He doesn't believe in a literal Adam and Eve. He doesn't believe in a literal six-day creation. That is the case in Christianity. It's coming up. It's almost impossible to find a seminary that actually takes the first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation seriously. I'm sorry, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, seriously. Amen? But look at the way he describes the teachers. The way the teachers would be. Jesus calls himself the faithful and true witness. What does that mean? That the preachers in the Laodicean church period will not be faithful and true witnesses of the word of God. They won't do it. Look at the way that the church of Philadelphia was described. Look at what it says in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength. And look at what it says. And hast kept my word and has not denied my name. So, if we keep his word, we don't deny his name. If we don't keep his word, what are we doing? We're denying his name. Why? Because his name is the word of God. When he returns and on his vesture is a name written, which is the word of God. That's Jesus Christ. So if we do not keep his word, we deny his name. That is the nature of Christianity. Is that right? Um, I had Doug Schmidtmeyer ask his brother, the priest, 
What Someone asked me this. What is the English translation of the Bible that the Roman Catholic Church endorses? What Bible would they say you need to use in the English language? And so Father Dan said to him, I know, call no man on earth your father. Is that right? Right. So Dan said to him, well, we teach out of the New American Standard Bible. We use other study Bibles to help teach. But none of the translations are accurate. That's what the priest does. The priest interprets the Bible for the people. Well, no, wait a minute. Thy word is true from the beginning. Is that what the Bible says? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for doctrine, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Word of God, we have it. God gave it to us. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. Amen? We have it. We can trust it. We can teach it in its context accurately. We can do that. But this age is defined according to Jesus Christ by people who would be unfaithful and untrue witnesses. That's why Galatians chapter 4 ought to jump out at the Bible believer. Because how did we get to where we have such unfaithful and untrue witnesses? You have people who don't believe every word of God is true. You have people who have allegorized the Bible. That's not really true. That's an allegory. I was watching... Uh, I, I, I came across the Crystal Cathedral... Robert Schuller. God. Robert Schuller. Remember him? I think he died, right? No, is he still living? He turned the ministry over to his son and daughter. They went into bankruptcy, and now the Crystal Cathedral is a Catholic cathedral. And, um, but they're thrilled about that because the same God will still be worshipped. That's what they said. All right? And so I watched, this was a couple of years ago, um, the, the Praise the Lord PTL or whatever, that show. How many of you have seen that show on TV? It was being hosted by Robert Schuller's son. I can't remember his name, but Robert Schuller's son was there. And he had Jack Van Impey on. How many of you have seen Jack Van Impey on TV? Did you know that Jack Van Impey was a member of the church that started this church, Grace Baptist Church? A friend of my father's. My father did the music for his crusades. I've spoken to him personally many times. Well, he went off into left field, okay? But he has the whole New Testament and most of the Old Testament memorized. He was called the Walking Bible. Brilliant man. Well, he was on, the Robert, he was on this show with Robert Schuller's son, and they were talking about prophecy. And any time uh, Van Impey would quote a verse about the return of Jesus Christ, the son would smile and say, I was taught that's an allegory. I was taught that that's not really going to happen, that, that that's just a, a story that we're to learn. And Venimpi all of a sudden was a fundamental Bible-believing Baptist again for a few minutes and started quoting Scripture, and you're wrong, this Bible is true, and all of a sudden he wasn't nearly as ecumenical 
as he comes across. And honestly, everything that he said was absolutely right, and he did a wonderful job of defending the truth in that moment. And it was a, I, I ought to try and get it and show it to you so you could see a direct contrast between two views of the Bible, a literal view of the Bible and an allegorical view. We here at Grace Baptist Church, we believe that every word of God is true. So why does this jump out at us so much then? It ought to. Because it says this is an allegory. And every Bible believer hates the allegorical method of Bible interpretation. Amen. We hate it. You ready for this? The Holy Spirit knew that was going to happen. This is a flashing light for us to say something really important is going on in this text. So dads, let's look at this text now. And let's understand what God is teaching us. Galatians chapter 4. Let's look at the allegory. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. So the first thing that we see are two sons. There are two sons. Do you see that? The one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. Who are the two sons of Abraham? Now, let me just tell this story real quickly in case there's someone here that doesn't know. Abraham, God had promised, he told Abraham, get out of the Ur of the Chaldees, go to a land that you don't know, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham said, okay, God, I believe you. And God counted that to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. He believed that he was going to make of him a great nation. He believed that his, his children, his seed, would be as the sand of the sea. He believed that. Amen. Well, after years and years, he kind of stopped believing. He believed that God was still going to make of him a great nation. He just thought God needed a little help. And so Sarah said, I'm barren. I can't have children. Take, I've got an Egyptian handmaid. Now, who was the son of God supposed to come through? Abraham's seed. Not an Egyptian seed. Amen? Amen? Specific? Specific. Amen. God said, we've got to have a pure Hebrew racial line for the Messiah. Now, how many of you, that's kind of uncomfortable in today's culture, the idea of a pure race? Why? Because people like Hitler and the KKK have taken something that God had for righteousness and for purity and have made it into something awful. See, now in our time, there are no different races. One of the mysteries of the church is it doesn't matter what race you are. We're all one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Yet I don't even know what I am. I'm, I'm German and I'm Jewish and I'm Irish and mongrel. Remember that dog? I'm 50% schnauzer, 50% boxer, 50% collie, 50%. Remember that, that cartoon? That doesn't add up. Huh? That's us. We're, there are very few pure people in this room racially. Would you all agree with that? But we're one in Christ. We're one in Christ. But God wanted to make sure that the Messiah, his seed came through Abraham. He had a plan for that. Abraham and Sarah. That was his plan. But they said, here, let's help God along. And they added in Hagar. Well, he marries her. Hagar becomes his wife. 
And Hagar has a baby. And as soon as she found out that she was expecting a child, now she despised Sarah. She looked down on her. She thought of her as insignificant. And she would mock her. And Sarah went to Abraham and told him. And Abraham said, do with her what you will. And she cast out the bondwoman. Is that right? That's what happened. And then God supernaturally... God supernaturally, when they were old and barren and dead in their flesh. Look at Romans chapter 4 and verse 19. I know we're going a little longer today, but we're not having a service tonight, right? It's all good. We didn't come to go home. Look at what it says. Speaking of Abraham, verse 19. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now what? When he was about 100 years old. Neither yet the what? The deadness of Sarah's womb. They were dead physically. I heard this story out in California this week. This old couple, they, uh, the, they, he was 90 and she was 87. And their spouses had died, and they decided to get married. And, the, you know, their children were surprised. Well, they're walking down the street, and they see this drugstore. So they go into the drugstore, and they start asking the druggist some questions. Do you have walkers? Yes. Yes, we do. Do you have heart medication? Yes. Yes, we do. you have Depends? Yes. Yes. How about denture cream? Yes, we have that. And he said, we're a full-service pharmacy. Why are you asking these things? Well, we're getting married, and we're thinking of having our bridal registry here. <laughs> That's funny. Can't you just picture? That's Abraham and Sarah. Do you see that? That's where they were. And by faith, though, after God had said, God told them, this is not the promise. Ishmael is not the promise. God gave them Isaac, who was the child of promise. That's what happened. Amen? Is that, you all get that? So now the Bible says that's an allegory for us today. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 4. So there are two sons. One was born after the flesh. Do you see that? And that's Ishmael. That's where they said, I'm going to help God. And we do that. We, here, here spiritually, we do that also. We say, yes, you have to believe, but you also have to do good works. And if you don't do good works, then you're going to lose your salvation. That's us today helping God with His promise. You see that? That's what the law does. The law is a fleshly, works-based understanding of truth. And so what had happened was these people had come from Jerusalem and they said, Hey, you need to add this. And Paul says, No. No, you're adding something fleshly to what is only spiritual. Is that right? And then there's a second son, it's Isaac. Was Isaac a child of what Abraham and Sarah wanted to accomplish? Or was Isaac the child of promise? A miracle child that only could have happened by the Spirit of God. Is that right? See the difference? A fleshly child and a spiritual child. It's an allegory. 
It's a picture. There were two wives. These two wives had different backgrounds. The one was from Egypt. The other was going to be the mother of a great race, a great nation that God would use to save the world. Two different things. Two different things. The Bible says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. See, he's made us a new people. We are completely new creatures. Is that right? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And now we are ambassadors standing in Christ's stead saying, Be ye reconciled to God. How does that happen? By the flesh or by the spirit? It's by the spirit. So this is a picture. Two sons, two wives. Let's look at the text. Look at verse 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. Which covenants? The covenant of law and the covenant of grace. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is agar. What is it to gender something? That is to give birth to. So, Hagar, the bondwoman, gave birth to bondage. That's Ishmael. How many of you understand that the Arab nation is in bondage? You understand that, right? What's going on in Egypt right now? Muslim Brotherhood. They're taking over. They're going to have an election and elect, freely elect people who will put them in bondage. Bondage to Sharia law. Women don't drive. Women can't be seen. Women, cover yourself completely. You're a second-class citizen. Husbands can have relations with their wives up to six hours after they're dead. Because the woman's an object. That's bondage. Would you all agree with that? Isn't it wonderful that Hillary Clinton's on their side? Women's rights. Insane. It's insane. That's the Arab race. Wait a minute, Pastor. That is a racist statement. No. Where are the free Arab nations? Turkey. For a little while, Ataturk came in and he made a secular society. They couldn't wear the fez anymore. They had some democratic movements, but now it's going all the way back to fundamentalist Islam. That's, where, that's what goes on in Arab nations. Would you all agree with that? The, the, the king of Saudi Arabia, the last couple of years, funded a, a college or a a department of Islamic studies at Princeton or Harvard. And a reporter asked him, why don't you establish a school of Christian studies in Saudi Arabia? He said, because there are no Christians here. Why? They're in bondage. They're not free. Do you understand that? So not only is it an allegory, it's a description of what would happen in history. It's where we are. So what this is saying is that if you have a faith that is based on the flesh, that is bondage. If you have a faith that's based on the Spirit for, as a gift of God, that is freedom. Let's look at it. So this gendereth, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, verse 25, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. 
and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Do you understand that Jerusalem's in bondage right now? Right now. The Bible says that. Would you all agree with that? Look at the way the Bible describes this Jerusalem. Look at Revelation chapter 11. All right, this is speaking of Jerusalem. So this is the two witnesses, right? And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So when it says Agar is Sinai and that city, which is that Jerusalem, which now is, where was Hagar from? Egypt. You see it? It's just right here in the Bible. This is Jerusalem. So when I was in Jerusalem this past year, we couldn't give the gospel to anyone under 18. If you give the gospel to anyone under 18, they put you in prison for two years in Israel. Why? They're in bondage. Spiritual bondage. Why? Because of the law. Because of what came at the base of Mount Sinai. That's the law. So we have two cities. There is the Jerusalem. There's two mountains, Mount Sinai, and then the Jerusalem, the, the mountain in Jerusalem, which is Mount Zion. And then look at what it says. That's bondage. Verse 25. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is what? Above is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, this right here, this is an interesting thing. The famous church father, Polycarp, said faith is the mother of us all. Faith is the mother of us all. Under men like Justin Martyr and Clement of Alexandria, that came to be understood as the faith is the mother of us all, and the church is the sole interpreter of the faith. And so that grew into this understanding that the church is our mother and that we're saved through the church. That's completely false, folks. We're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit then places us into the church. The church doesn't save us. The church is not our mother. No. What is our mother? Well, the Bible says that Jerusalem, which cometh down from heaven, what is that? That is that we have the gift of salvation Jesus Christ saves us and places us into the body of Christ, which becomes the bride of Christ. And he has prepared the new Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 20. It's going to, Revelation chapter 21. It's going to descend from heaven, descend from God out of heaven as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. That's all by grace. That's all by faith. That's all a gift. See, you don't want to go outside in that right now. <laughs> so what's going on in this text? Let's read on. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Would you look at Colossians 1.13 with me?
let's look at verse 12, Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks unto the Father. I'm hearing some pages. I'll wait a second. Colossians 1, 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, acceptable, allowed to, be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. What is our inheritance? Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What's the kingdom of His dear Son? New Jerusalem. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God. He's translated us into His kingdom. That is a supernatural thing that takes place by the Spirit of God. Here's another comparison. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You dads are thinking, what does this have to do with me? We'll get there. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 18. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest. Remember that? Remember when that took place? That's what the people saw when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. Okay, that's not where you are come to. And the, the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. They didn't want to hear that voice. It was so horrible. All right, now go to verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Sion, so Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the earthly Jerusalem. Is that what it says? What's it say? The heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly of, and uh, church of the firstborn which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, there's a, we have a spiritual reality that we are looking for. There's a physical reality, the law. There's a physical city, Jerusalem, that gendereth to bondage. But we are free through the power of the Holy Spirit as we receive the gift of salvation freely. Go back to Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now, this is from Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 1. And honestly, it doesn't, that, that reference, it has to do with the millennium and all that stuff that goes on with Israel during the millennium. But God says, Look, that's a picture of what happens when you get saved. The, the physical children that are many are nothing compared to the spiritual children that come through salvation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Now, Isaac was the child of promise. It didn't happen by Sarah and Abraham taking things into their own hands. That's Ishmael. This happened as a supernatural move of God. Would you all agree with that? They were dead. But by faith, by faith, God produced life in them. That's what happens at salvation. Would you all agree with that? Now, but as then he that was born after the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Is that the case now? 
Is Ishmael persecuting Israel right now? Yeah. Yeah. But it's also a spiritual lesson that those who are born after the flesh want to persecute those who are born after the Spirit. You stand... Go ahead. Walk into any church in town and tell them. The majority of the churches in town. And tell them, hey, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. You don't have to live a good life to go to heaven. Believe in Jesus Christ. See what happens. See what happens. Now, aren't you glad there are other churches in town who do preach the truth? I'm thankful for that. We're not the only ones who preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. There are other churches in town who do that. But I guarantee you there's a lot that don't. Right? And they would persecute those of us who would hold to the truth. Now look at what it says. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Look, what is this telling us? As believers, there can be no compromise with the flesh. There can be no compromise with the flesh. You are either born of the Spirit or you are born of the flesh. It can't be both. Do you all see that? That's what's going on here. And here's the key. Remember, Galatians is about salvation by grace through faith alone initially. But the primary teaching is this. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians 2.20 We must live the Christian life by faith. Now look at the last verse. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Okay, dads, here's where it comes to you. Here's where it comes to you. Here's what we think of Christianity. I have to live a certain way. I have to speak a certain way. I have to raise my family properly. I have to tell people about Jesus Christ. I have to make sure that my family dresses properly, that our entertainment is right. I have to do those things. And we're made to feel guilty. If you, you, if you don't do these things, you're not acting like a Christian. And so, when we have outreach, all right, I'm going to be a deacon. I got to do this. If I'm going to be a Sunday school teacher. I got to do this. If I'm going to be a discipler, I got to make sure that we get out and knock on doors. Pastor said, I have to do this. Do you know what that is? Bondage. It is bondage. There are so many churches today, and sadly, churches like ours, who would put legalistic rules on people and command their every behavior. Dave, I saw you walk into a movie. You're either going to stop doing that or you can't come to this church anymore. Really? Really? And what verse do you have for that? Now, how many times have you heard me say, be careful what you watch as believers. 
Remember, everywhere you go, you are. if you're born again, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And if you walk into a movie that, that would be dishonoring to Christ, that's a bad testimony. Is that a true statement? So now what does that do? Now, Dave's not obeying me. He's been brought under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's not bondage. That's liberty. That's freedom. How many of you ever stopped your kids from putting a key in an electrical outlet? How many of you have done that? Now, some of you would say, hey, they got to learn sometime. <laughs> I kind of like that myself. But. Right? What do we do? We establish parameters to give people liberty and freedom. That's what the Word of God does. But here's what I want for you men. We sang the song, More love to thee, O Christ. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of earth, I resign. How many of you sang that a little while ago? Dads, is it true? Is it true? Do you love Jesus Christ enough? Do you love... Out of love for Him, do you have a desire to tell others? Out of love for Him, do you have a desire to financially support the work of the ministry? Out of love for Him, do you have a desire to make sure that the entertainment that comes into your house honors Him? Out of love for Him, do you have the desire to make sure that your daughters and wife honor the Lord in their appearance? Out of... Is it, is it a legalistic thing where you say, I have to do these things? Or remember what we said last Sunday night. Paul said in verse 19, the verse that leads up to our text right here. He said, my little children, of whom, for whom I travail in birth again till Christ be formed in you. And what happens is the Holy Spirit of God comes to dwell in us when we're saved. Amen. Romans 8, 9, If any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he has none of his. So the Holy Spirit of God is dwelling in us. And what happens is Christ is formed in us as we serve Him and as we submit to Him. And Christ is formed in us. He fills us up from the inside. And Christ is so big on the inside, it changes us on the outside. Amen? Here's where legalism gets it wrong. They try to change the outside first. They try to change the outside first. I wonder how many of you are living the outside and the inside is dying. Do you love Jesus? Amen. Pastor Nathan and I are going to be introducing to you a plan to reach our community. We've been working on it for quite a while. And, you know, we're going to be having leaders. I'm going to be contacting. I think there are eight people that we're going to put in charge of this. And some of you other men. Now, how many of you believe in male leadership in the local church? How many of you believe in that? That's, that's scriptural. Would you all agree with that? Okay. Amen. Well, like yesterday, um, I'm working in my office. I hear something going on outside. I look outside, and Frank Enyart's fixing the lights out on the sign. Nobody had to tell him. He saw that it needed to be done, so he stepped up and did it. I can't tell you what that did for my spirit. That helps me so much. That somebody else cares. Amen? You ever, ladies, have you ever felt like nobody cares about keeping the house up? Have you ever felt that way? That's the way the pastor feels at the church sometimes. 
And I was really challenged out at the meeting this week, and I had been challenged already, but I was even more challenged that we need more men in our church actually leading under the, under the Lord Jesus Christ, leading the ministries of Grace Baptist Church. Amen? It ought to be... Like two guys agree with that. Let me try this again. We need men leading the ministries in Grace Baptist Church. Amen? Amen? And, and let me tell you whose fault it is. It's not your fault. It's my fault. Pastor Nathan and I do the majority of the work in this ministry, and that's not our job. Our job is to edify you to do the work of those ministries. Amen? I've already spoken to several men who are going to take over our music ministry. Isn't that a blessing? That's going to help us so much because Pastor Nathan doesn't like it. (laughs) That's going to help him. Doesn't he do a good job even though he doesn't like it? Amen. Well, he's got too much to do. And God has brought us men here who are so gifted to do that. Why would we not have them do that? Amen. Josh Divens has... Where's Josh? Josh, are you here? Yeah. Josh Divens has, by default, taken over our men's ministry at Grace Baptist Church. I said, I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. Pastor, how about this? I'll do this. I'll do this. Well, if God's put them on his heart to do those things, maybe we ought to just say when somebody asks for something about men's ministry, go talk to Josh. He doesn't know this. We've not had this conversation. Hello, uh, men's ministry director. See, what's going on is God is bringing men and has brought men in the past to this ministry. And as we start, like like with this outreach that we're going to be presenting to you and we're going to have leaders, man, it can't be, man, i got to do this. How about this? Lord Jesus, I love you. I love your church. Anything I can do for you. Do you know what happens? When you go and you knock on that door, you hand out that piece of literature, you understand, I'm doing this for Jesus. Lord, you gave yourself for me. You've given me everything that I have. You've given me my wife. You've given me my children. You've given me my job. You've given me my health. I've got to tell somebody about it. I love you so much. I've got to tell somebody about it. Man, that's so much different than me standing up here and saying, If you love God, you'll come to visitation. What a difference. That sounded like Joyce Myers, didn't it? It really did. (laughs) Amen. Dads, can I ask you this? Are you living in the flesh? Are you living in the spirit? And I'll say this as lovingly as I, I can. It's time. As men, it's time for all of us to stand up and be counted Amen. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. Are you going to be tied up with all of your life outside of the ministry and not have time for Jesus Christ? Are we going to do that? And see, here's what somebody will say. Pastor, there you go. You say it's for love and you're making me feel guilty. We ought to love Jesus more, folks. I, my soul ought to be stirred with guilt initially that I don't love Christ more. How many of you have ever been challenged that you don't love your, your wife well enough, that you don't demonstrate your love for her well enough? How many of you have ever been challenged about that? Amen. I hope you change when you see that. 
If your wife says to you, I just don't think you love me anymore, but you better do something about that real quick. Man, we need to love Jesus so much that we want to give our lives, our time, our talent, our treasure for Him. Not out of bondage. I don't want to be that kind of church. I would rather do it myself than guilt you into it. Amen? But you guys love Jesus, many of you, more than I do. And I know that you do. You guys accomplish so much. Dr. Ree mows the grass every week. Nobody knows he's out there. He planted flowers out here this week. And I know he thought about it the whole time he was in Korea because he told me beforehand that he needed to do that. Praise God. Isn't that a blessing that somebody cares and they take care of it? Gordon Allsetter comes and trims bushes and cares for all of these things. Nobody has to tell him to do that. He sees a need and he takes the lead. But we, and, and many of you guys serve God, and I've not listed all of you. But we need more. How many of you men who are serving God would say we need more? Amen. 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 And you men who are kind of on the periphery, here's my challenge to you. Get on your knees before God and say, Lord Jesus Christ, will you reveal to me through your scripture and in my spirit Am I demonstrating my love for you by my ministry in the local church? Men, how about this? Would your children believe you have a love for the local church and that it's a priority in your life by your service in it? If you're only here for an hour or two a week, that's not a priority. Would you all agree with that? Pastor, you're making me feel guilty. That sounds legalistic. No, no. How do you demonstrate your love for your wife? By spending time with her. How do you demonstrate your love for the church? By spending time for it. And it, it, it's got to be out of a love for Christ. Here's a thought that I had. And I haven't told this story in years. There was this great pianist, and he had this concert. And he finished his concert... And the whole crowd stood and was applauding. And he was standing at the, off in the wings and was watching it. He had his head down like this. And one of the stagehands said, Why aren't you happy? They're all applauding. He said, You see that man up in the corner? He's my teacher. And he's not applauding. That's how we look at Christ. We think that based on our performance, He thinks less of us. Do you know what Jesus Christ is doing for you right now? He's saying, you're one of my own. I love you. I gave myself for you. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I love you so much, I want to use you. I love you so much, I want to give you the opportunity to influence someone else for Christ. I love you so much, I believe that you are uniquely gifted to serve me in the institution that I gave my life for, the local church. I love you. But Lord, you don't know what I've done. I know everything you've done and everything you will ever do. And you know what? I want you to serve me.
I've called you. I've chosen you. Go to work. See, the Apostle Paul, he was a free man. And he was proud of that. When he was, when he was struck, he said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of Rome. And the centurion said to him, he said, I bought my freedom at great price. Paul said, I'm free born. But he also called himself a bond slave to Jesus Christ. That's where he voluntarily brought himself as a servant to his Lord, Jesus Christ. He had the opportunity to be free, but he became a slave. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to voluntarily serve him out of love for Jesus Christ. You know, the world wants to put you in bondage. The law wants to put you in bondage. The, the, many religious systems want to put you in bondage. Jesus Christ wants you to be free. Free to love Him. Free to serve Him. Free to receive gifts and rewards and blessings through service. Amen? So, I have this written down. Are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ out of bondage or love? Do you love Him? Do you love Him? If your love has grown cold, His love hasn't. He loves you. He loves you. Just go to Him. And He'll use you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.